Good morning. Good news. So, um, in Alabama, in the spring, we normally don't have a lot of snow. So my question in, uh, question is, who's not praying? <laughs> Point them out, because we, we need some sun and some heat. Um, it's such an honor to be able to bring the word to you guys today, um, and it's especially an honor that my daughter gets to read the text this morning. So come on, Brianna. Will everyone stand for the reading of God's word? Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment will be ruined, and the new patch won't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new one. The old is just fine, they say. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're going to speak to every heart, every life, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So before Brianna, yeah, you, get, you can clap. Tell me how smart I am. You see how pretty she is, right? She is a couple of belts away from her black belt. So all you players and all that, she can take you. All right. Love you. Okay. So um, I, I love the fact we played the music uh, this morning because I think Jesus was the ultimate outcast. And as we go through scripture, you're going to find out why that is. Um, and I love the fact that Jesus goes after outcast. So um, how many know that uh, Jesus always creates tension? So if you don't believe me, today, when you, when you go out, go door to door and just say, hey, I'd love to be able to tell you about Jesus. And how many people know that door is going to slam a lot of times, right? Because Jesus creates tension. Um, so before we get into the scripture, I want you to remember how important it is that Jesus is not just doing things, that God is trying to communicate who he is as a father through Jesus. I want to give you a couple of scripture verses just to show you. Colossians 1.15 says, the son, this is talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So when you see Jesus in scripture, you're not just seeing a, uh, Jesus as perfection doing things. This is the picture of the father. Whatever he's doing, whatever he's saying, however he's responding, this is who God is. John 5.19 
says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever, whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. And then lastly, John fourteen nine. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So we see this picture that whatever Jesus sees the Father do, that's what he does. Whatever the heart of the Father is, that's what Jesus lives. And so there's this picture that is, that, that is uh, needing to be conveyed in Scripture. Now, I, I need to preface the message with this. So this is really not my style to go line by line and verse by verse. Um, so I, I'm being stretched a little bit. And the content, you've got 12 verses. Normally you would not cover this broad of a spectrum. But in order for us to get Luke, through Luke in a year, we need to take on more than maybe what we can communicate. So I need you, if, if it's not, everything is not explained perfectly or we don't hit every line because there's some major themes um, do some study on your own, do some research on your own, but we're going to do the best that we can this morning. Amen? Amen. All right. So Jesus is an outcast going after outcast. And how many say, thank you, God, right? Cause we've all, most of us uh, in this room have been an outcast uh, of one degree or another. So when we see Jesus, this is Luke five twenty-seven through 31. This is what we're going to cover right here. When we see Jesus going after Levi, and this is Matthew if you go to Matthew 9, you'll see that this is actually the author of Matthew. We see who God is. Jesus is not just doing an action. This is the heart of God. This is who he is, so that's how he responds to everything. So Jesus is the master of creating tension. Wherever he shows up, you can expect tension to be near. Now, the Pharisees can't understand why Jesus would go after and select a tax collector. And so I just want to give you a little background about what a tax collector was in that community. And so I, I, I read some excerpts from some, from some books, and they just said tax collectors had been known to murder people in order to get their money. Tax collectors had been known to burn down or destroy people's dwellings in order to get their money. Um, you see that... The response of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, pastors of the day, they called them scum. Tax collectors would get money owed to the, the Roman government, but then they would put a fee on top of it. So if it was 100 shekels or whatever, they could charge 200 because that was, that was what they were able to do. Tax collectors were excluded from worship, so they weren't invited to church. They didn't want them to be part of church. Because they were unclean, that meant they, they were the people that you didn't want to be a part of anything. And they didn't want them to come to the house of God, to church, because then it would make the house of God unclean. So they didn't want them even to be around. Paying taxes was, was a reminder that the Jewish people were under Roman authority. Right? They were enslaved in some ways. They were under their control. And then... Uh, a, a lot of the religious leaders, because the picture of Caesar was on the money, they felt like it was idolatry even to pay the taxes. And then you have uh, a Jewish person who is taking money from Jews, and for a lot of people that was betrayal. In another Jewish teaching in the Talmud, it actually said that 
to, uh, to deceive a tax collector was actually being righteous. And so you see that they've got this kind of environment, this kind of religious thinking, and Jesus is going and selecting a tax collector. It's, it's, it's insane. Imagine Pastor Walt going and finding some of the worst people on earth and bringing them on staff, which he did with Pastor Raphael. So may, maybe you can see the picture. So you see Jesus breaking with religious tradition, right? And he's pursuing this outcast, Levi, a sinner, scum, if you will. And listen, most of us probably would have been offended too. We couldn't understand it. We wouldn't have been able to understand it either. And the thing about it is, so Levi gets the invitation, but he still has to make the decision, right? Follow me means leave everything. Leave the money that you're making. How many people of you would leave your job making great money in order to make nothing? It's a big decision. Leave your friends. Leave what you know. How many know it's difficult to leave what you know, even though you know you should leave? So there's some real tension that Jesus is creating here. And then we have uh, the response, right? So Luke 5, 29 through 32, Levi throws a party. And I love this because the cool part about this is when Jesus enters your world, he enters the world of your friends too. You guys know what I'm talking about. So when you celebrate Jesus, everybody hears about it. When you celebrate Jesus, the world around you knows about it, and they're invited. And Jesus shows up. And so the religious community, Pharisees, don't like that Jesus is not obeying what is expected of a religious teacher. Everybody has an expectation of what the religious teacher is supposed to do and who they're supposed to select. They are unclean. Tax collectors are unclean. And Jesus is not following religious expectations but he is living biblical expectations. He is revealing the true heart of God. So people are furious. Jesus is this amazing teacher, this rabbi, but he's doing it wrong. And it's offending the religious. And so Jesus is breaking a rule to show a new and greater rule, and that's love. Think of the leper that we've talked about last week and the tax collector. Because uh, Jesus became unclean in religious circles in order for people to know the love of God. Can people in your life say that you love them by the way you treat them, even if they are that type of people? See, Levi responds to grace in this amazing way. You know, people do extravagant things when Jesus shows up in a person's life. In this case, it was a party. Because people who receive grace, they have a tendency to give grace, right? Those who have been forgiven much, they love much. You guys remember where you came from? Do you need to remember where you came from? I remember where I came from. So when Jesus is accused, he states a truth that remains today. And I love this. He goes after the sick and the sinners and those who need to repent. That change of heart and mind. When the church, the, the church had worked to exclude the very people Jesus came to save. And Jesus turns this thought upside down. 
He goes after them where they are. He spends time with them. So then he got the label of being a, a glutton, somebody who eats everything all the time, and a drunkard. But he's willing to compromise his reputation. He's willing to go to the marginalized. And he's willing to go to those who no longer welcome, who are no longer welcome in the church. Because people need a savior. And don't miss this. This is everything. This is God toward people. This is God toward you. He shows up with the outcast and he shows up to the people who don't measure up. And this is our picture of hope. So this is God toward you in whatever state you may find yourself in. Whatever your past and your past deeds are, and that means yesterday or today, everybody wants this Jesus. But there's a tension here. How many know that everybody wants this Jesus for themselves, but a lot of times we don't want that Jesus for the people that we don't like? We want him on our side. But Jesus is going to the outcast, and Jesus will always go to the outcast, and Jesus will always pursue the outcast. And if we're not careful, religion can make life about us versus them instead of Jesus for them. We see it in Democrat and Republican, black and white and any other color. We see it the good versus the bad. We see it rich versus the poor. And it's always us versus them. But here's the thing I want to tell you. That Jesus would always go to the other side and he'd bring you with him. Because that's the way he operates. He would go to the sick and he'd go to the sinner and he'd go to the unclean. So then we get to, to Luke 5.33-39 through 39, and Jesus is beginning to, to answer because they don't like the fact that he's going after the unclean. And he's beginning to introduce this idea of a new way of living. A new religion, if you were. So we get this overarching view of God as introducing something new through Jesus that he wants to do. But in reality, in context, he's saying, I'll choose whoever I want to, any way I want to, and I'll tell them how I want them to live. And it's challenging the structure and the mindset of the day. So religious leaders were offended because of who he chose to follow him, about the selection of disciples, their lack of credentials, and they weren't fulfilling what was expected of a disciple. They weren't fasting. They are challenging this idea. He chose fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, scum. And when you look at who he chose, they said they're uneducated and they don't meet the standards. When you were a kid at 12 or 13, everybody was taught religious law. Everybody. And the people who were the best and the brightest were moving on to be a pastor or a religious leader. That was the path that they would take. So what you have here is people who knew about God and had studied about God, but they weren't good enough. And how many can identify with that? You have information about God. You've studied about God, but maybe you're not the best and the brightest. I'm in that line. And you see, that's why Peter falls down. Because he knows, I'm not good enough. I'm not the right guy. I'm a sinner. And in Acts 4, 
Peter and John do this miracle. And then they, they, they speak boldly to the crowd. And the religious leaders recognize these were ordinary men. But they recognized they had been with Jesus. And that's who God uses. And so you have this idea too. You know, they're not fasting. They're not doing the right things. And so in, in, in scripture, you understand that there are reasons to fast. Today, there are reasons to fast. There's times of sorrow and grief. Uh, accompanied with repentance, great religious events, you are expected to fast, personal service toward God, in times of making important decisions. But what had happened is the Jews at that time, the religious leaders had made fasting outward. It was about how I look. It was about, look at me, look how important, look how religious, look how close I am to God, because you can tell that I'm fasting. And Jesus would go to his disciples and he would, he would say, listen, when you fast, wash your face, put on new clothes so nobody knows what you're doing so that God will reward you. Because what, what religion wants to do is it wants to do, it, it wants to change outward appearance, right? But not deal with the heart. And if you look at Matthew 23, this is Jesus talking to the religious leaders. This is toward the end of his ministry. And he's pointing some stuff out to them. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert. And then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. So you see the father's heart toward religion that excludes people. That is outward in appearance, but not dealing with the issues of the heart. You're turning them into twice the child of hell. So they had the rules down, but they were missing the part about mercy and heart change. And then Jesus begins to teach about this wineskin. It's the beginning of this new life, this new way. You know, it's a, it's a heart issue that, that God's wanting to do, bring this new government, this new way of living and treating people. An old wineskin is, is the expectations of the way people are supposed to act. And the people, the, the right people are chosen. Probably would exclude most of us in this room. Jesus is teaching how difficult it is. He begins talking about um, a patchwork. You know, this, this old wineskin and this new wineskin. And you don't take an old cut of uh, patch and you put it on a, a new wineskin because it will pull apart. And he's going, it is so difficult for old mindsets to transfer to the new. It's so hard for somebody who has been taught all their life something now to get on board with what God is introducing. And you know, all of you, you come to, to church at times with an old wineskin mindset. You don't believe me, so I'm going to show you. Well, that's not how we did it in my old church. That's not how we do it in the South. That's not how they do it in my country. That's not how they do it in my denomination. That's not the kind of music I think they should play. I'm going to point out something. I didn't do it in the first service. I don't like the fact that they have lights and smoke. Look at that. Nervous laughter. Am I supposed to, supposed to laugh here? Can I, can I tell you something? If you talk to them... If you talk to the people who do this, this is worship to them. 
the way they see it, the way they want to, to add value to the service, it's not show. Come on, y'all. Look at us. Are we showy? We're not, we're not pushing the showy envelope here. Nobody's looking at me for fashion, you know, whatever. What, what they're wanting to do is they want to take what they love and offer it to God. All right, y'all can be mad all you want to. But I mean, we've done this before. Listen, generationally, there are things that are really important in generations that don't translate as we move forward. Hats in church. See, I honor this. I honor this. Man, there was a time when people removed their hats when they walked into a place of worship. But you know what? They don't do that now. So am I going to make somebody who doesn't have that value system, especially if they don't know Jesus, remove their hat? I'm not. But I'm going to honor the fact that you think it's important, but I can't mandate that. That would become religion. There, there's somebody who didn't like uh, torn jeans. A pastor should not preach in, in ripped jeans. Now, I got to be honest. I did buy a pair of ripped jeans. They were $5. How are you going to pass that up? Right? So, so I, and, and here's what I did. So here's when I heard that. They didn't come to me, and that's okay. But when I heard that, I said, I can honor their sensibilities. I don't, I don't have to preach in ripped jeans. It's okay. But I can't mandate that for everybody. Right? That, that's something that they feel strong about. I can honor that. Now, if everybody has an opinion, I'm probably not going to honor everybody's opinion. You know, they want me preaching in a tie and, you know, having a cape. I don't know. All kind of weird stuff. But I can't do all of that. But we do it, too, about the past. So, you know, there was a certain style of music when God was moving. Or there was um, a song that God just seemed to, to show up when this song was played. And, I, and a lot of people, man, the tent revivals, God did some incredible stuff in tent revivals. But can I tell you, God didn't show up because of the tent. It was the hunger in the tent. So sometimes we want to go back to that old way because we think that's where God dwelled. And God's doing, I'm doing something new. I'm, I don't have to do it that way. I'm doing something new. And so here's what I want to do. That's, that's the end of that teaching. And there's a lot of holes in that and I understand that. But I want to get to the application part. And so, you know, whenever I read scripture, I like to put a face to what I'm reading about. So I, if I go through you know, the Gospels, I imagine what it would be like. I want to know, like, who is this person? What do they look like? I want to know more about what's going on. So when I read through the book of Judges and Samson, everybody always gets this picture of this huge muscular dude, right? The, I think there's a movie coming out about Samson. And he's ripped. Oh, but in my mind, Samson's skinny. Because they always went, Samson. Samson. The only thing is the hair. So, so he, they, would, they would always go, um, where is the source of your power? Right? Well, if he's huge and muscular, they would know the source of his power. So in my mind, when I'm reading through scripture, this is who I see. Samson. 
Snoop. And in my mind, I'm going like, can you imagine God speaking to, to Snoop Dogg going, hey, I need you to take it to the Philistines. And he's like, for shizzle my brizzle. So when I get to Levi, in my mind, I'm thinking, who is this guy? Because you got to be a different kind of person to, to, get, uh, to, to collect taxes when people hate you. And so here's my picture of who I think this guy was like. You see that dude on the left? That's Pastor Raphael. Back in the day. Hood life. Look at that. Because I know what he was like. Dominican Republic to New York. And he's like a guy, hey, you know you're going to pay your taxes. He's still like that. Just look at him. Look what God can do, man. All right, you guys can take that down. Listen, I used to be a tax collector. I used to be on the fringe, man. I used to know that I was going to hell. Knew it. And some of you guys... You are on the fringe too. And we're surrounded by people that need the gospel. People that know they're not living right. People that know they need a savior. And God can use anybody and he still calls people. Do you remember the grace you received? Do you remember when Jesus revealed that you were a sinner and he wanted to save you? Who's the tax collector in your life? Who's the group of people that you avoid? And God's calling you to them. And he's inviting you with them. So I, I, I wrestle a lot because I feel like I have institutionalized Jesus. I have churchitized Jesus. He's no longer dangerous. He dresses right. He comes to the services. But man, when I read scripture, Jesus is unbelievable and he creates tension by the way he lives and he creates tension by uh, the way he treats people. There's a second thing that I think is really important and it's the words follow me. We all love the fact that Jesus says, come and see. You know, we love the Jesus that, that goes after the sinner. We love the fact that he came after us. But he makes you make a determination of how you're going to live when he says, follow me. That means leave everything. Your dreams, your rights, the way you think it should be, you lay it on the table. And he'll, process, he'll help you process it. But it's not one of these things that he goes, okay, I'll let you have that. He goes, it's mine. And I want it. When Jesus invades our world, he creates tension. And he wants all of us. It means loving when we don't want to. Or even when we believe they're not worth it, whoever they are. It means obeying when we don't want to. Or even when we don't see value in it. It means surrender. It means laying your plan the way you think it should be. And your dreams on the table. It means going to where they are rather than hoping they come to you. It means suffering. American church, it means suffering 
It means sometimes life is not going to turn out the way that you think. It means denying yourself. It means making Jesus your all. And it may cost you everything. It may cost you everything. Levi knew this. Here's the thing. I believe there are lots of people in our churches and they're bored with Christianity because they obeyed the come and see, but they have not obeyed the follow me. And you're torn between a frustrating world because you want more, you want to know more, you want to experience more, but you won't give more. You won't release more. You won't surrender more. I want to tell you something. We don't usually talk about this stuff, but everybody on our team has given up things. Dreams, money. You know, when, when God approaches me and I don't hear the voice of God, I need, because a lot of people get like, I want to hear God speak to me. He gives me impressions. He speaks to my heart. And this is what he says to me, because he's given me prophecies, he's given me dreams, he's given me longings in my heart, along with the way that God wired me and the function that I have. And then he goes, Jason, what if you never see the things that I've placed in your heart? What if they're not for you, but they're for a generation that you won't see? And he goes, follow me. In a day and age where everybody demands their rights, we surrender ours. That's what Christians do. Lastly, wineskins. And, and a lot of times what happens is when we get saved, God begins to do this, this work in our heart. Okay? He begins to change. So when the Bible says he'll give you the desires of your heart, what he begins to do is he begins to clarify those things. He begins to clean up those things. Your heart begins to, to look like his heart. And, 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 and you want the things that he does. And I, I remember walking in the third service a couple of weeks ago, and there was ministry happening. And I felt such pain. I, this sounds weird, y'all. I'm not weird. A little weird. But not, not really weird. You know, I don't get all like flaky. But I felt the weight of people's hurting and bondage. Felt it. I don't know. And Chris, the same thing. It was, it was wow. It was heavy. What happens is a lot of times... Especially for our Christians who've been saved for a long time. You've got dreams in your heart. There's disappointment. You thought it would be different. You've got people that we prayed for that have not been able to birth children. There are other people you gave birth to children and they're not living right. You're disappointed with, with, with life. You're disappointed with you. You're disappointed with other aspects. The dreams that you had, now you're looking at the years and you're going, you get it. We don't like to talk about this. We like talking about the, the, the testimonies that everything worked out right. We don't like getting uncomfortable when things, we pray scripture and nothing happens. We pray and people don't get healed. We pray and, and our loved ones don't come to Christ. And we're going, what is the deal? 
I'm praying your word. I am believing. I remember last summer, and uh, Chris and I had done a, uh, a week long at another church for their youth. And the last night, God showed up in such a powerful way. It was one of the, one of the highlights of my ministry life. Because we prayed for kids for six hours. Six hours until four o'clock in the morning. And unsaved kids are going, what is this? Now remember, you know, that, that weekend we were tired. We were just going, man, that was so amazing. God's kingdom moved and he was doing such great things in, in people's hearts. And I remember on Monday, Caleb went to the doctor and uh, he had lost weight, and we had noticed that he had lost weights and uh, weight. And uh, Krista, when they weighed him, she said he's lost like 20 pounds. Now, he'd been playing football in the morning and baseball in the evening. So we thought maybe that had something to do with it. But when I heard how much weight he had lost, I knew he had diabetes because there were some other symptoms. And sure enough, he had diabetes. I remember going to the hospital and, and going through you know, all the stuff. And in my heart as a dad... My heart sank. Remember, Crystal went out of town and I was just sitting on the couch. And I, I was exhausted from the week. I was exhausted from the diagnosis. I was mad. So we, let me get this straight. We serve you. We help other people. And for reward, my son has diabetes. Okay. Just want to get this clear. That that's the way this works. And I was mad. And there are times when life happens that God goes, listen, I'm not going to explain everything to you. What you need is a new wineskin. You need a new way to process and a new way to think. And I've, I've experienced my daughter being healed. Saw it with my own eyes. I've, when she was a baby, she was sick. Healed. When she was uh, two or three years ago, she used to get these viral, it was a viral syndrome, and every four to six weeks she would get sick. She would get a fever, um, she would miss school, she would throw up, um, and my, my wife would have to stay up all night giving her treatment for asthma, because it would, it would make it worse. And I was frustrated. God, don't you hear us? And I remember, I remember taking her downstairs. A man named Jeff Kaiser was downstairs. He administered in the Wednesday night service. And I remember we waited in line for 30 to 45 minutes. And I remember him laying her hand, his, his hands on her head. And she just fell out under the power of God. Now, some of you guys don't know what that is. I can't explain it to you. I don't know why it happened. She didn't understand anything either, but she fell down and he said, he pointed his finger at her and said, I cancel the assignment of the enemy against you. Healed. Never experienced that sickness again. A year and a half, never experienced that sickness again. Listen, you've got to have a place in your Christianity where there's mystery. If you want everything explained... You're trying to take the supernatural and make it natural. It doesn't work that way. But you've got to have a place in your Christianity where you don't understand why God does what he does, what he allows, what he does, what he's doing when you don't understand. There's got to be a place of mystery too. 
And so for some of you Christians, and you've been struggling, and you've been disappointed, this morning God wants to help you create that new wineskin that he can work within. He wants to meet you in it. The enemy loves this. Because if he can get in your thinking, he'll separate you from God. And God's wanting to do this new thing in your heart and in your life by creating a new wineskin. So here's how we're going to do this this morning. Here's the thing. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a pastor, but I'm a person. And I know the first thing people want to do is get out the door. But this morning, I just want you to listen to a song. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to prompt your heart. And faith responds. So there are three groups of people this morning that I'm speaking to. Those who know they need to give their life to Christ. You know it. He's been dealing with you. He's been calling to you. And you need to give your life to him. The second group of people are the people who, man, you accepted Christ, but you've never obeyed the follow me part. Whatever you ask, wherever you want to send me, whatever you want to do, I'll obey. The third group of people are those who go, man, I didn't know life would be this way. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm attending church, but I'm not pursuing God. I need a new wineskin. I don't know how to handle this stuff anymore. And here's the amazing thing about God. He'll meet you and he'll help you and he'll walk you through this. We're going to take just a moment and then we'll respond. I came here 
We're not going to call the altar workers forward first. We're calling you forward first. If you know that you're one of those three and God is dealing with your heart, there's something about action that represents faith. And we're going to bring the altar team behind you and pray for you. But first, if you know you need to respond to the message or respond to what God is saying to you, we're going to ask you to do so at this time. Come on. I know there's people. You don't need to wait. Come on. If God is dealing with you, come forward. of their life and you're with them in the process and you understand their pain and their frustrations and their suffering. You know the fears that keep them from stepping out and following you with everything. You were tempted in all ways, God. You were tempted in all ways, so you understand, but you were without sin, therefore you can help us walk this life out. Church, he's not only the God of the cross, he's the God of the resurrection as well. He knows how to bring new life. He knows how to bring life that has gone dormant, thing, dead areas of life he can bring life to. Going to ask our altar team to come forward at this time. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, God. In just a minute, we'll dismiss. Please be respectful of the people at the altar. Listen, there are people all around you who need the gospel, but they need a picture of a living gospel. You need to be reaching out. You need to be encouraging. You need to be praying. You need to be whatever you can do with the people around you. That's your responsibility. That's God in you going to them. And the very people you may be avoiding, God may be leading you to build relationships. God bless you guys. Please stay in an attitude of worship. You're welcome to stay in worship. We'll see you guys either Wednesday or next week. God bless. Thank you.
So.